Section 8 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds, by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. 4. How will Iran project regional power? Iran's influence is linked to its nuclear aspirations. A number of our interlocutors believe that Iran will stop short of developing a nuclear weapon, but will retain the ability to develop such a weapon. In this scenario, a breakdown of the nonproliferation system would be inevitable, with Saudi Arabia obtaining nuclear weapons or capabilities from Pakistan. Turkey might react to a nuclear Iran by seeking its own nuclear capability or relying instead on the NATO defensive shield. The UAE, Egypt, and possibly Jordan almost certainly would begin nuclear programs in the energy field as hedges that enabled them to go forward if Iran, Saudi Arabia, or others in the region became over nuclear powers. If this occurred, the region would be in constant crisis. Sunni Shia and Arab Persian antagonisms would increase, spilling over to create far-reaching instability outside the region. A second scenario would involve the Iranian regime coming under growing pressure from its public, which could desire economic gains rather than nuclear weapons, and might not want to pay the price in terms of international isolation. Eventually, the regime could be toppled by elite infighting and mass demonstrations. Under this scenario, in which Tehran focused more on economic modernization, a more pro-Western democratic Iran and a more stable region would emerge. 5. Can an Israeli-Palestinian settlement be reached, enhancing the region's prospects for stability? At home, Israel faces increased political and social divisions between those who still cherish a vision harking back to its 1948 founding of a sectarian liberal republic or an Israel characterized by the growing demographic weight of the religiously conservative Haredim and settler movement. Several of our interlocutors thought the divisions would come to a head before 2030. Israel will remain the strongest military power, but face continuing threats from low-intensity warfare in addition to any nuclear one from Iran. Growing Arab public opinion could constrain Israeli room for maneuver, however, if it wants to avoid an escalating conflict with Arab opponents. Resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict would have dramatic consequences for the region over the next two decades. For Israel, a permanent resolution to the conflict could open the door to regional relationships unthinkable today. The end of Palestinian conflict would provide a strategic setback to Iran and its resistance camp and, over time, undermine public support for militant groups such as Hezbollah and Hamas. Without some sort of resolution, Israel would be increasingly absorbed with trying to control a burgeoning Palestinian population with limited political rights and a restive Gaza next door. Many of our interlocutors saw a Palestine emerging from Arab-Israeli exhaustion and an unwillingness of Israelis and Palestinians 
to engage in endless conflict. Issues like right of return, demilitarization, and Jerusalem will not be fully resolved by 2030, and there will be no complete end of conflict. The way forward toward a Palestinian state will be through a series of unofficial independent actions known as coordinated unilateralism, incrementally leading to statehood. As Hamas moves away from Syria and Iran to the Sunni Arab fold, the potential for reconciliation between the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah and Hamas in Gaza would increase. Palestine's borders will be roughly along the 1967 borders with adjustments or land swaps along the Green Line, but other issues will remain unresolved. 6. Will Saudi Arabia and other Sunni Gulf monarchies beyond Bahrain remain immune from regime-threatening protest movements that have transformed the Arab world? Whether or not oil spare capacity develops elsewhere, political turmoil in Saudi Arabia could trigger widespread economic and political uncertainty. Within the country, competing groups probably would vie for power, including Muslim Brotherhood-affiliated groups, radical Islamic extremists, secularists, and Shiite actors. As in Egypt, a future political transition could be messy and complicated. Other Sunni monarchies may soon find themselves under pressure to embrace far-reaching political reforms or face a similar uprising in their own countries. In Lebanon, the Palestinian territories, Iraq, and other places where Saudis have used their influence to support Sunni allies, groups that have long relied on such support may be considerably weakened perhaps to the benefit of Shiite and pro-Iranian rivals. If the GCC monarchies are able to successfully ride out the Arab Spring, the greatest beneficiaries regionally might be Jordan and Morocco, the most vulnerable Sunni monarchies. Such a result would also ensure GCC regional influence, providing Gulf countries with continued economic leverage in Arab countries in transition, including Egypt and potentially Syria. Finally, the status quo scenario would preserve and perhaps deepen the Cold War dynamic between the Gulf states and Iran, especially as Iran nears the nuclear threshold. Wider scope of regional instability. Type Middle East. Present status. At a tipping point, the Middle East faces a wide gamut of possibilities, from fragile growth to chronic instability and regional conflicts. Trendline. The youth bulge, a driving force for the recent Arab Spring, almost certainly will give way to a gradually aging population. New energy technologies and production elsewhere will mean Middle East economies will need to diversify. Drivers. If Iran develops nuclear weapons, the Middle East faces a highly unstable future. Other critical variables include the stability of the House of Saud, the emergence of a radical Islamist government in Egypt, and fragmentation in Iraq and Syria, 
which could lead to the unraveling of current borders. Type, South Asia. Present status, low economic growth, large youth bulges, rising food prices and energy shortages pose stiff challenges in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Inequality, lack of infrastructure, and educational deficiencies are key weaknesses in India. Trendline. Three possible scenarios include a turn-the-corner scenario, which many experts believe is unlikely. In an Islamistan scenario, the influence of radical Islamists grows. In an unraveling scenario, destructive forces would come to the fore, resulting in a social and political fracturing of Pakistan and Afghanistan. Drivers. Intra-regional trade would be important in building trust between India and Pakistan. A Mumbai-style terrorist attack perpetrated by militants backed by Pakistan could spark an open conflict with India. Conflicting strategic goals and widespread distrust will make it difficult to develop a strong regional security framework for Afghanistan. Type, East Asia. Present status. Surging economic growth, dramatic power shifts, nationalism, and aggressive military modernization, not just in China but India and elsewhere, have amplified rather than diminished regional competition. Trendline. Regional trends will pull countries in two directions, toward China economically, but toward the U.S. and each other for security. Drivers. Rule of law and more transparency on its military modernization would assuage security concerns about China. China's weaknesses, however, could make Beijing more unpredictable or even highly aggressive. Type Europe. Present status. By any measure, GDP, trade volume, number of transnational companies, or technological capabilities, Europe will remain a great power. Trendline. Economic logic, which argues for more integration, conflicts with the desire of publics to hold on to separate national affiliations, limiting greater integration. Drivers. Massive transfers of sovereignty may be a bridge too far. On the other hand, EU members may stick together to avoid major political and economic disruptions. Type, Sub-Saharan Africa. Present status. The megatrends of population growth without aging, rapid urbanization, and middle-class expansion will shape the trajectories of most African countries. At least a few, particularly in the Sahel and the Horn, will be sharply challenged by resource scarcities. Trendline. Most African states already face moderate to high threats of instability, but improved governance, resource management, and economic diversification offer the chance to move to more stable ground. The Sahel region, Congo, DROC, and Somalia will be the most vulnerable. Drivers. Africans will be able to choose from best proven approaches and technologies in the developed world without needing to adapt and reform legacy systems. 
but rent-seeking, patronage populism, and corruption may tempt many and challenge long-term planning. Type Latin America. Present status. Latin America and the Caribbean have undergone far-reaching change during the past decade, including sustained economic growth, but the distribution of the benefits still remains uneven. Trendline. With annual real GDP growth averaging 4%, the middle class ranks have swelled. The region has also seen greater economic and political participation by women, indigenous peoples, and minority groups, many of whom have benefited from greater access to education and healthcare services. Drivers. The pace of world economic growth will be a key factor affecting the demand for Latin American commodities, labor, and other services. The second key factor is the extent to which Latin Americans position themselves to capture economic gains through investments in education, market opening reforms, and enhanced rule of law and governing capacity. Type Russia. Present status. Russia's economy is its Achilles heel. Its budget is heavily dependent on energy revenue. Efforts to modernize the economy have made little progress, and its aging workforce will be a drag on economic growth. Trendline. Russia will need to improve the environment for foreign investment and create opportunities for Russian exports of manufactured goods. Drivers. Russia's posture towards the West and China will help determine whether it moves to become a more stable, constructive global player. A negative role is more likely with sagging living standards, which would spur more nationalist sentiments. South Asia, shocks on the horizon. Like the Middle East, South Asia will face a series of internal and external shocks during the next 15 to 20 years. Impacts from climate change, including water stress, in addition to low economic growth, rising food prices, and energy shortages will pose stiff challenges to governance in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Afghanistan and Pakistan's youth bulges are large, similar in size to those found in many African countries, and when combined with slow-growing economies, portend increased social instability. India is in a better position, benefiting from higher growth, but New Delhi will still be challenged to find jobs for its large, youthful population. Inequality, lack of infrastructure, and educational deficiencies are key weaknesses in India. India also faces an intransigent rural insurgency, the Naxalites, which constitutes an internal security challenge. Rapid urbanization in India and Pakistan almost certainly will transform their political landscapes from more traditional control by rural elites to one shaped by a growing pool of urban poor and middle class. The neighborhood has always had a profound influence on internal developments in all the countries in the region, increasing the sense of insecurity and bolstering military outlays. Pakistan's large and fast-growing nuclear arsenal 
in addition to its doctrine of first use, is intended to deter and balance against India's conventional military advantages. India worries about a second Mumbai-style terrorist attack from militants backed by Pakistan. A major incident with many casualties and Pakistani fingerprints would put a weakened Indian government under tremendous pressure to respond with force, with the attendant risk of nuclear miscalculation. Afghanistan could become the focus of future Indian-Pakistani competition, particularly after the drawdown in U.S. and NATO forces post-2014. Both countries want to deny giving the other a strategy advantage, making regional cooperation difficult. More broadly, conflicting strategic goals, widespread distrust, and hedging strategies of all Afghanistan's neighbors, not just India and Pakistan, will make it difficult to develop a strong regional security framework. Increasingly, China is also driving India threat perceptions, particularly because of China's role in supporting Pakistan, but mostly because of China's increasing global and regional profile. Indian elites worry about the potential for a widening economic gap between China and India if Indian growth does not rebound from its recent slowdown and India does not put more emphasis on rapid economic and technological development. Intensifying competition between India and China could lead to great power conflict that would not be limited to the South Asian theater, drawing in the U.S. and others. Three possible scenarios include in a turn-the-corner scenario, sustained economic growth in Pakistan based on the gradual normalization of trade with a rising India would be a critical factor. An improved economic environment would produce more opportunities for youth entering the workforce, lessening the attractiveness of militancy and containing the spread of Islamic violence. Intra-regional trade would also be important in building trust between India and Pakistan, slowly changing threat perceptions and anchoring sectors with vested interests in continuing economic cooperation. Just as China's economic engine transformed its relations with neighbors from the early 1990s, so a strong economic engine in India could lay down new foundations for prosperity and regional cooperation in South Asia. Over several decades, Pakistan would grow into a relatively stable economy, no longer requiring foreign assistance and IMF tutelage. Suspicions of India would persist in military circles. Even so, both nuclear-armed countries could find means to coexist in order to avoid threatening the growing economic ties. Quote, just as China's economic engine transformed its relations with neighbors from the early 1990s, so a strong economic engine in India could lay down new foundations for prosperity and regional cooperation in South Asia. End quote. Many of our interlocutors saw this scenario as unlikely. 
Critical to the scenario would be the establishment of a more capable civilian government in Pakistan and improved governance, such as better tax and investment policies that spurred new industries, jobs, and more resources for modern education. A collapse in neighboring Afghanistan would probably set back any such civilian-led agenda, reinforcing, reinforcing security fears and retrenchment. On the other hand, Indian policies to open up trade and visa access with its neighbor could serve as a countervailing force, building up new Pakistani constituencies for reform. In an Islamistan scenario, the influence of radical Islamists in Pakistan and Talibans in Afghanistan would grow. In Pakistan, a weak government would continue to lose ground to Islamists over the next decade. Signs of growing influence of radical Islamists would include more broadly held extreme interpretations of Sharia law, proliferation of jihad-oriented militant bases in settled areas, and greater control of local government by Islamists. A symbiotic relationship would deepen between the military and the Islamists. As Pakistan became more Islamicized, the army would become more sympathetic to the Islamic cause. Consequently, the military would likely cede control of territory to Islamist insurgents and would be more willing to engage in negotiations with these Islamists. In an unraveling scenario, all the destructive forces lurking in the region, such as weak government, large numbers of unemployed youths, and food and water crises, would come to the fore and result in the social and political fracturing of Pakistan and Afghanistan. India would be left trying to defend against the spillover of militancy, increased tensions in Kashmir, and potential radicalization of its Muslim populations. Rather than uplifting its neighbors, as in the turn-the-corner scenario, India would be dragged down by them, challenging its ability to play a more global role. East Asia, Multiple Strategic Futures Searching economic growth, dramatic power shifts, nationalism, and aggressive military modernization, not just in China, but India and elsewhere, have amplified rather than diminished tensions and competition among the rising powers and with Japan. Owing to the unusual nature of the post-World War II settlement in Asia and the persistence of conflicts on the Korean Peninsula and Taiwan Strait as a result of that settlement, historical grievances have festered and intensified in Asia. Fear of Chinese power, growing nationalism across the region, and possible questions about U.S. staying power will fuel these tensions over the coming decades. Economic growth and interdependence have not diminished Asians' grievances, as seen in the difficult relations today between Japan-China, Japan-Korea, China-Korea, India-China, and Vietnam-China. Regional trends probably will continue to pull countries in two directions, toward China economically, but toward the United States and each other for security. Since 1995, Asian powers, 
including Japan, Korea, Australia, and India, have gradually swapped the United States for China as their top trading partner, but have coupled growing economic interdependence with the continued insurance of close U.S. security ties. This pattern is likely to continue through 2030, although political liberalization in China, such as rule of law and more transparency on its military modernization program, would likely assuage security concerns in ways that would make the regional hedge less necessary. Better than expected Chinese economic growth and Beijing's ability to manage the challenging transition to an innovation and consumer-based economy could increase Beijing's magnetic pull on regional trade and investment, increasing China's status as the leading provider of Asian foreign direct investment. Alternatively, a serious or prolonged Chinese economic slump could take the steam out of China's regional clout and reinforce latent fears about the potential regional implications of internal unrest there. Other important variables include the potential for a unified Korea and a subsequent strategic alignment away from the U.S. Quote, regional trends probably will continue to pull countries in two directions, toward China economically, but toward the United States and each other for security, end quote. As global economic power has shifted to Asia, the Indo-Pacific is emerging as the dominant international waterway of the 21st century, as the Mediterranean was in the ancient world and the Atlantic in the 20th century. U.S. naval hegemony over the world's key sea lanes in this and other oceans will fade as China's blue water navy strengthens. This could beg the question of which power is best positioned to construct maritime coalitions to police the commons and secure universal freedom of passage. At the macro level, four broad pathways for Asian order are possible during the coming decades. One, a continuation of the present order that mixes rules-based cooperation and quiet competition within a regional framework structured around existing alignments sustained by U.S. leadership. Continued U.S. maritime preeminence and the U.S. alliance system sustain a security order in which China's militarization, North Korea's nuclear mischief, and other potential security dilemmas in Asia are mitigated by the preponderance of power enjoyed by the United States and its allies, thereby deterring aggressive action by Beijing or Pyongyang. Asian institutions continue to develop roots and economic integration continues to be oriented around a Pacific rather than an exclusively Asian axis. Two, a balance of power order of unconstrained great power competition fueled by dynamic shifts in relative power and a reduced U.S. role. A U.S. retreat into isolationism or economic decline would lead to the weakening of Washington's alliance commitments in East Asia 
and its willingness to remain the region's security guarantor. Such a regional order would be ripe for rivalry. Some Asian powers might develop and seek to acquire nuclear weapons as the only means of compensating for less U.S. security. 3. A consolidated regional order in which an East Asian community develops along the lines of Europe's democratic peace, with China's political liberalization a precondition for such a regional evolution. Such a pathway for regional order presumes that Asian regionalism will develop in a pluralistic way that preserves the autonomy of smaller Asian states. A pluralistic and peace-loving East Asian community might require the continued role of the United States as the region's security guarantor. 4. A Sinocentric order centered on Beijing that sustains a different kind of East Asian community on the basis of China's extension of a sphere of influence across the region. An Asian system in which China sat at the summit of a hierarchical regional order presumes that Asian institution building develops along closed lines of Asian exclusivity rather than through the open trans-Pacific regionalism that has been the dominant impulse behind Asian community building since the early 1900s. Numerous Wild Cards Should India fail to rise or Japan temper its relative decline, the Sinocentric order become more likely. Should the United States core Asian partners possess less capability or willingness to balance Chinese power themselves, the U.S. may need to step up involvement as a counterbalance, risking a direct contest with China. Chinese weakness is perhaps the biggest uncertainty. If Beijing fails to transition to a more sustainable innovation-based economic model, it will remain a top-tier player in Asia, but the influence surrounding what has been a remarkable ascendance will dissipate. In an extreme case, China would collapse with deep divisions opening up between rich coastal area and the impoverished interior, and also growing separatism in China's far-flung areas of Tibet and Xinjiang. Under these circumstances, China may become a more unpredictable or even highly aggressive power with the leadership trying to divert attention away from its domestic problems. A conflict with one of its neighbors and or the U.S. that China lost could also puncture its standing. On the other hand, a victory would increase the chances of a Sinocentric order. Europe transforming itself. By most any measure, GDP, trade volume, number of transnational companies, or technological capabilities, Europe will remain, in the aggregate, a great power in 2030. The key question is whether it will punch its collective weight in the future. The stakes are high both politically and economically and Europe's future is very uncertain. 
Even before the recent unprecedented sovereign debt crisis, the conflicting forces of fragmentation and integration made Europe an inherently unpredictable actor. Constructed as a union of peoples, the EU has not aimed at merging European peoples into a single identity. The Eurozone crisis has laid bare the tensions and divisions between member states and, for the first time in decades, raised fundamental questions about Europe's future. Although there is no consensus on the region's future shape or role, our experts agree that it will not resemble today's Europe. On top of the current crisis, the European economy is suffering from enormous structural woes. Productivity has been declining vis-a-vis -vis other developed economies in the last 15 years. Spending on R&D remains low. European governments have grown very large relative to their economies and demographic trends point to a shrinking labor force as well as increased age imbalance between active and non-active citizens. Because the Eurozone lacks many of the features economists deem necessary to a well-functioning optimal currency area, including labor mobility, fiscal transfers, similar economic culture, and solidarity, the first decade of the euro has seen considerable divergence in the economies of the core eurozone and its periphery. The former generally thrived, while the latter experienced massive capital influx, leading to market bubbles while losing competitiveness, which led to sovereign debt crises. Beginning in 2010, Eurozone leaders have been introducing reforms and new instruments to address the crisis, but more integration probably will be required to overcome the crisis and address structural problems. A genuine leap forward in integration would imply massive transfers of sovereignty to central authorities, with the accompanying loss of autonomy which is increasingly unpopular with European publics. Popular feelings against the EU have gained traction with populist anti-EU parties, gaining strength even in traditionally pro-EU member states. Economic logic, which argues for more integration, conflicts with the logic of those publics who want to hold on to separate national affiliations and limit greater integration. Below, we outline three scenarios for Europe and its international role in 2030. A collapse scenario has a low probability of occurring, but would entail very high international risks. In this scenario, domestic firms and households respond to indications of an imminent currency regime change by rapidly accelerating withdrawal of euro deposits from domestic financial institutions. Following contagion to other member states and economic damage to the core countries, the euro would be the first casualty. The EU as an institution 
would be a likely collateral victim because the single market and freedom of movement across Europe would be jeopardized by the reinstatement of capital and border controls. Under such a scenario, severe economic dislocation and political fracture would lead to a breakdown in civil society. If the collapse were sudden and unexpected, it would very likely trigger a global recession or another Great Depression. Quote, Even before the recent unprecedented sovereign debt crisis, the conflicting forces of fragmentation and integration made Europe an inherently unpredictable actor. End quote. In a slow decline scenario, Europe manages to escape from the worst aspects of the current crisis, but fails to undertake the necessary structural reforms. As member states endure years of low economic growth, they stick together in order to avoid major political and economic disruptions. EU institutions hang on, but public discontent remains high. The euro survives, but it does not become a rival to the dollar or the renminbi. Given years of low economic growth, Europe's international presence is diminished. Countries renationalize their foreign policies. Our third scenario, Renaissance, is based on the familiar pattern of crisis and renewal, which Europe has experienced many times in the past. After staring at the abyss, most European leaders agree on a federalist leap. Publics support such a step, given the imminent risks involved maintaining the status quo. A more federal Europe might begin with only a core group of Eurozone countries, with some choosing to opt out or adopt a wait-and-see policy. Over time, despite the existence of a multi-speed Europe, the single market would still be completed and a more united foreign and security policy agreed upon with enhanced elements of European democracy. European influence would increase, strengthening Europe's role and that of multilateral institutions on the world stage. Russia Potential Global Futures Russia's role in the world during the next two decades will be shaped by the rising challenges it faces at home as well as in the global environment. Russia's economy is its Achilles heel. Its budget is heavily dependent on energy revenue. Efforts to modernize the economy have made little progress and its aging of the workforce will be a drag on economic growth. Russia's population is projected to decline from almost 143 million in 2010 to about 130 million in 2030. Although Russia's fertility rate is similar to that of many European countries, and aging populations are also a drag of European economies, Life expectancy is about 15 years lower for Russians than for Europeans. Since 2007, the size of the Russian workforce has been declining, and it will continue to do so 
for the next two decades. However, Russia's greatest demographic challenge could well be integrating its rapidly growing ethnic Muslim population in the face of a shrinking ethnic Russian population. There are now about 20 million Muslims in Russia, comprising about 14% of the population. By 2030, that share is projected to grow to about 19%. Russia's changing ethnic mix already appears to be a source of growing social tensions. To enhance its economic outlook, Russia will need to improve the environment for foreign investment and create opportunities for Russian exports of manufactured goods. Russia's entry into World Trade Organization, WTO, should provide a boost to these efforts and help Moscow to diversify the economy. By one estimate, Russia's membership in the WTO could provide a substantial boost to the economy, adding 3% to GDP in the short term and 11% over the longer term. Russia's relations with the West and China are also likely to be a critical factor in determining whether Russia moves toward becoming a more stable, constructive global player during the next two decades. We see three possibilities. One, Russia could become more of a partner with others, most probably in a marriage of convenience, not of values. Russia's centuries-long ambivalence about its relationship with the West and outside is still at the heart of the struggle over Russia's strategic direction. Two, Russia might continue in a more or less ambivalent relationship with the other powers, but over the next 20 years, this path would likely be a more troublesome one for international cooperation if Russia rebuilds its military strength and must contend with an increasingly powerful China. Three, Russia could become a very troublesome country, trying to use its military advantage over its neighbors to intimidate and dominate. This outcome would be most likely if a Russian leader were facing rising public discontent over sagging living standards and darkening economic prospects, and is looking to rally nationalist sentiments by becoming much more assertive in the near abroad. Sub-Saharan Africa, turning a corner by 2030? Many African countries have the opportunity to greatly advance while others are likely to be left behind, creating a more diverse Africa in 2030. African countries will be able to choose from the best proven approaches and technologies in the developed world without needing to adapt and reform legacy systems. But rent-seeking, patronage, populism, and corruption may tempt many and challenge long-term planning. Elections are now frequent in Africa, but the quality and rooting of democracy is often shallow and subject to regression. The megatrends of population growth without aging, rapid urbanization, and, to some extent, middle-class expansion, 
will significantly shape the trajectories of most African countries and at least a few, particularly in the climate change threatened Sahel and Sahara regions, will be sharply challenged by resource scarcities. With other regions rapidly aging, increasingly a disproportionate number of Africans will make up the global working age population. However, the trend of individual empowerment will only slowly be evidenced in the most impoverished regions, and Africa will be catching up to the world in introduction of existing and new technologies. Countries that improve governance and management of their economies will harness higher productivity from relatively youthful and urban populations, spurring economic growth. New technologies, legal frameworks, and trade and investment incentives can lead to more efficient food and energy production and water and resource management. Governments that do not respond to demographic change and meet popular expectations face increased destabilization, criminality, and emigration, particularly by the most skilled. Education will be a game changer for those African countries that not only offer nominally widespread schooling, but ensure that qualified teachers are in classrooms, currently lacking across the continent. Providing electricity and building infrastructures, creating better and more stable policy regimes, raising the skill levels of workers, maintaining security, opening space for private sector development and entrepreneurship, and closing opportunities for corruption will also be critical. Commodity exporting countries need to be wary that increased volatility in global markets is probably ahead and will challenge their fiscal viability and stability if they do not work to diversify their economies. Technological advances in the developed world might reduce demand for African hydrocarbons and other minerals. The high petroleum prices of recent years enjoyed by oil-dependent economies such as Angola and Nigeria might not continue. On the other hand, Africa was largely insulated from the shock of recent international financial crises because African borrowing from private lenders is limited. The diffusion of power in the international system toward multipolarity is unlikely to give Africa a much stronger voice in global forums by 2030, given its weaker economic weight in the international system. Global powers will most likely be less able to forge consensus to address African crises if the United States and Europe are less able to assert leadership and provide assistance. Consequently, Africa will need to become more independently able to address regional threats. Opportunities exist to strengthen the African Union and sub-regional organizations to this end. Africa will be at risk of conflict and increased violence as development proceeds unevenly among and within African countries. 
Most African states already face moderate to high threats of instability, but improved governance, resource management, and economic diversification offer the chance to move to more stable ground. The Sahel region, Congo DROC, and Somalia will be the most vulnerable and challenged to improve governance and resource management. In some instances, individual empowerment and disillusionment with the unmet promises of modern democracy, education, and medicine will highlight ethnic and religious divisions at the expense of national unity. Beyond traditional conflict, criminal networks and extremist groups will be able to expand their reach within countries and across borders if the capabilities of national governments do not keep pace. Despite the strides toward greater stability in sub-Saharan Africa, substantial outside humanitarian and economic assistance will be needed to ensure these continuing conflicts do not spill over into broader regional and global conflagrations. Latin America, more prosperous but inherently fragile. Latin America and the Caribbean have undergone far-reaching change during the past decade, including sustained economic growth and a reduction in poverty. The greater integration of the Americas through free trade agreements, FTAs, with the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, has expanded to multiple regional and extra-regional FTAs, especially by Canada, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, and Peru. With annual real GDP growth averaging 4%, the ranks of the middle classes have swelled along with greater economic and political participation by women, indigenous peoples, and minority groups, many of whom have benefited from greater access to education and health services. However, the distribution of these political and economic benefits remains uneven across Latin America and the Caribbean, even though income inequality has been reduced in recent years. Other trends, such as the spread of criminal violence associated with drug trafficking and criminal gangs, have hurt the region. Two primary factors, one external and the other internal, will drive the economic growth rate and quality of life in Latin America over the next 18 years. The first factor is the pace of world economic growth, which affects the demand for Latin American commodities goods, labor, and other services. China has led in ramping up demand for Latin American commodities to the point that many experts in Brazil and elsewhere worry about an overdependence on commodity exports. Cheap Chinese imports have also undercut the competitiveness of industrial goods, and some of our interlocutors worry about the future of the manufacturing sector. The second key factor is the extent to which Latin American countries position themselves to capture potential economic gains through investments in education, market open reforms, and enhanced rule of law and governing capacity. Assuming that average GDP growth in the region, 
declines to 3.5 with the lower global growth projections. Aggregate Latin American GDP will total $9 trillion by 2030, possibly approaching half the size of the U.S. economy. Given reduced population growth rates, Latin America's per capita income could reach $14,000, almost 50% more than current levels. At the same time, the emergence of an even larger middle class in Latin America will fuel additional political and economic expectations with which governments must be prepared to cope. Under more adverse global circumstances, vulnerabilities in some Latin American countries could generate strategically significant crisis if stability is jeopardized amid spiking insecurity and transnational criminal activity. Institutions are undermined by populist politics and integration, trade, and growth drop precipitously with the contagion spreading more broadly throughout the region. In such a scenario, outside actors, such as the U.S., may be confronted with a range of politically and economically costly dilemmas that impose substantial trade-offs for the United States and others' abilities to cope with emergencies in Latin America and elsewhere. Natural disasters, frequent already in Central America and the Caribbean, could have fundamental stability implications in a weaker global economic environment. Even in the case of a relatively robust global economy, subregions such as Central America and Caribbean will find it harder to cope with security and governance challenges. Rising food and fuel costs are likely to add further strain on the more fragile governance structures in Central America and the Caribbean. In recent years, Mexican drug cartels have increasingly used Central America for transshipment, which also undermines governance and rule of law. Unlike elsewhere in the region, Central America's lack of competitiveness and continuing sole reliance on U.S. markets means that its economy has not grown at the rate it needs to to attract investment and generate jobs for its large youth population. Brazil will play an outsized role on the region's future. Its resources and scale could offer benefits and insulation others lack. However, the country could be challenged if global trade and growth declines, instability grows on its periphery, megacities are overwhelmed by crime and infrastructure strain, and there is no greater investment in education. The environment could play a critical role in Brazil's fortunes during the next 15 to 20 years. The Amazon basin produces about 20% of the Earth's fresh water flows into the oceans, and has a major impact on global weather. An Amazon dieback, or deforestation, could alter the region's water cycle in a way that would devastate Brazilian and much of Argentinian agriculture. Recent models suggest a dieback tipping point could be when deforestation reaches 20%. It presently stands at 18%.
End of section eight. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.